back to the Dying for the O'Brien Show. I'm Brent Vassbinder, joined here by resident Blazers fan Quentin Cools. And after a months and months of speculation, we finally get to have a podcast that's been due for a long time. Some would say a long dame time, Quinn. And that is <laughs> Damian Lillard finally getting traded off your beloved Blazers and headed to, of all teams, the Milwaukee Bucks, a championship contending team, which is the kind of team he always wanted to go to here. A huge league-altering trade here, Quinn. And so got to start here at the top here with Dame getting traded. First off, just kind of at an emotional level, what was kind of the initial thoughts, feelings, and vibes coming from you, your friends, and your family? So it, it's twofold for sure. Good to be back with you, Brent. Uh, it's twofold. One is just that we're grieving the loss of this era. I mean, so many memories, like, you know, Lillard's shot against the Rockets in 2014. You know, the game winner, game six, just huge energy, like unbelievable, like puts a stamp on the league. Um, so that era is over. And that feels really weird to me. Like I'm going through it. Like I, I followed like the Zebo Bowl or Blazers in early 2000s. I followed the Roy Blazers and this has been the Lillard Blazers. And so now it's like a whole nother era that's about to begin. There's this big unknown. So it's um it's an exciting time at the same time. I think um, we're, we're happy for Lillard. We've there's something about the NBA culture these days that follows the players as much as the team. And while I still am deeply committed to the Blazers, I'm I'm happy to see Lillard do well. And so if he can go and get a ring with Giannis, awesome. Like, you know, better, better on him and uh, excited for what we got back. Yeah, there's, of course, three teams that were involved in this. Kind of a surprise candidate. Um, there had been conversations all summer about a third team getting involved to help facilitate this trade so that the Blazers could receive something better than, you know, just Tyler Hero and a pick swap um, from Miami. And, of course, it ended up being the Suns who broke into it. So I'd love to kind of go through team by team here, Quinn, and kind of break down and kind of grade um, kind of zooming out now as we enter into the preseason just starting, you know, who really came out on top here looking at the Blazers kind of catch that they got from this and then, of course, the Bucks and kind of the Suns here. So I'd like to start kind of at the top here with the Suns and then work our way down to the Blazers. Um, I personally was not a huge fan of what the Suns got and in getting involved with this trade. They swapped out disgruntled center DeAndre Ayton or Dominaton as he is like to be called these days. Um, and they swapped him out for Nurik, which it's like, if that was like maybe six years ago, um, before the injury, you know, I think Nurik was doing some pretty good things, but, uh, I think there was a huge downsize on the center and then they got some role players like Grayson Allen. And so it was just an interesting decision, I guess, by the Suns to try to add some depth to their bench after selling everything out for their big three. But I just felt like it led to the Suns entering in the season weaker, um, than was necessary. Yeah, I mean, Nurkic is a player who health-wise is not on the court as much as you might think. Nurkic played only two seasons for the Blazers where he completed at least 60 games. And just in his last four seasons, games played 8, 37, 56, 52. So at least the last couple seasons, he's playing two-thirds of those games, and, and that's significant. And he's he's a good player. Um, he's 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 got great vision for a big. He's a good passer. Um, when he's happy, he fits within kind of the flow of the team really really well. But his his attitude the last few years has not been awesome. And just when you're evaluating the pure talent that he brings, you know, uh, defense, rebounding, so forth. 
on on a squad with the Suns, you compare him to Aiton. Aiton's for sure the better player. So they broke up Aiton's contract into multiple pieces, and I'm not confident they got a great return. The big thing I hear people talking about on the internet is, of course, that Nurk has done some good work in the games he's played against Jokic, which, of course, for the Suns, knowing that, you know, all kind of roads lead through the Nuggets if they want to see um, a place at the finals. But I'm real, I'm thinking about other series that the Suns could possibly be in and how I feel like, especially with Beal, KD, and D-Book on the floor, how much I think teams are going to be hunting um, Nurk, I'm thinking of like an AD matchup with the Lakers, um, just other kind of teams that have a strong position that often plays the five. And I think the Suns are going to see kind of teams targeting him. Um, and so I thought it was just interesting that the Suns got themselves involved. Let's kind of move here to the the two featured teams here. Let's start with um, the Bucks here, kind of thinking through what they gave up. And was what, what do you think, Quinn? Was that a good return for taking on um, that switch with the Blazers? So, I mean, the, the start of the conversation has to be, is Giannis sticking around and what can this new ownership group do to keep Giannis happy, right? They changed out the coach. Coach Bud isn't there anymore. They recently uh, had a first round exit to the Heat, you know, so like he he's stating in the media, like, you know, I'm committed to winning. They better be committed to winning. And he wasn't making any long-term commitments to the team. And so I think it starts there. Does this increase the likelihood that Giannis, this top 10, 15, 20 all-time great player, is going to remain on the team? And I think, yes, the answer is unequivocally yes. He's he's going to have a much higher likelihood of sticking around. Now, that said, I had totally written them off as an option because I think, in some ways, Drew fits better on that team. Having a defensive-minded facilitator in the backcourt with Giannis and with a wing guy um, in Middleton, I, I, I think that's probably a better fit than a really poor defensive player who can light it up from deep and is a little bit more one-dimensional. Now, he's elite, like capital E elite at what he does, but he comes with other deficiencies. So I think that'll just be a, a wonderful pairing, though, because you know Giannis can cover up for a lot of those in, in the mid-range defense and down in the paint. Yeah, just interesting comparing, of course, the two key players in that trade with the Bucks letting go of someone who was such a crucial part of that championship run, you know, the classic Bucks and Sick series with the Suns there in the finals with them taking home the Larry O'Brien trophy was Drew's ability to put just the absolute clamps on D-Book, um, Chris Paul, you know, various players in the Suns. And so, of course, you know, on media day last week, you know, Damian was, you know, very open with us, like, of course, I'm not Drew Holiday as far as defense, but I'm not a pushover either, basically. He said, I was looking at stats, of course, and, and Drew averaged about 20 points last season. Damian, of course, averaged 30, 32 points last season. And so you got a guy who is going to give you 10, 12 more points a night. Plus, of course, you can give him the ball in those clutch situations and you know he can turn out, um, you know, those elite moments like you talked about. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see how this really translates into the long series that these playoff series often turn into. Um, and I think they're just going to be finding out, you know, when they get in those series, a lot of those little things that isn't flashy that Drew did for them that led to them a championship. I think they're going to have to be doing some really hard work to help overcome those. But I agree with you as far as, you know, this was very much a move to appease Giannis and going out there and getting one of the best players that plays basketball right now is definitely a move in keeping him content. Um, and this team is kind of all now centered into that 30 plus club um, with Dame and 
you know, Middleton and, you know, you've got Brooke Lopez still playing big minutes at starting at the five. That's for them. right. And so it'd be interesting to see if this was enough to push them over the heap, um, because definitely last year was super embarrassing to get knocked out by basically a, a Ty- Tyler Hero-less um, Heat squad um, who easily handled them. Let's go to the Blazers here, of course, getting a bevy of picks, pick swaps, and then the main players they received uh, were Drew Holiday, who we know eventually moved, um, and so DeAndre Ayton being the guy who's going to stay there. Um, This is hugely different, of course, Quinn, than the original deal that they kept getting when Lillard came out and said he was only willing to go to the Heat. And so Joe Cronin, we've talked about him enough on the pod, he waited, and he got a completely different package. And you know, from my, my personal view, I mean, the clear winner of this trade has to be the Blazers, Quinn. It's not the Suns. It's not the Bucks. It's the Blazers for holding on and getting a package that's going to help them so much more than whatever crumbs the Heat were cooking up with Pat Riley here. And so I'm just so proud of the Blazers as an organization. You know, we're, we're all about small market teams here at Dying for the O'Brien. And so just to see the Blazers hold on and get you know, a package that still could be giving gifts, uh, depending on what they do with Malcolm Brogdon, of course, um, who doesn't fit the timetable of the the youth movement. It's so cool to see how they were able to get this done and get it done before um, training camp. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you said the Blazers are the winners here. I, I would take that even a step further and say Joe Cronin is the winner here. Like, put some respect on that man's name. Like, the national media, for literally, like, two and a half months were dogging on this guy saying like he, he he should just like roll over and take that Miami offer and just move on and you owe it to Dame and all this stuff. And I love what Woj reported about him. So Cronin said, eliminate the emotion, the frustration, the fatigue, and most of all, don't settle. Don't let yourself settle. And that was what I was praying for <laughs> and hoping for. And, and if I had had one phone call into Joe Cronin's office, I would have said, I mean, maybe not verbatim, but essentially the same thing. Like that was the spirit of what I wanted them to do. And what they ended up with is a haul. And and granted, like none of these things are are going to for sure give the Blazers, you know, the, 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 the trophy at the end of the season. I, I'm not saying that. But in terms of pieces you can build around when you've got Aiton and you've got a bunch of draft picks and swaps, when Milwaukee's star players are going to be in their late 30s to early 40s, okay, now we're talking, and we've got a great future for the Blazers. We've talked about player empowerment so much on this podcast, Quinn, and I think this is just a huge win for so many different people here. Small market teams, GMs, like you said, um, and, and especially just teams in general, because, of course, you know when it came out with Hull, uh, with. Uh, Damian Lillard's agent going around telling people the only team that Damian is willing to play for is the Heat. Of course, he now rolls up in Milwaukee saying he's happy to play for them. And so I think it was super helpful to see, for the fans to see, teams able to actually work with a superstar and find Dame a situation that's not his first pick, of course, but one that he was still content to go to. This is a huge win for teams everywhere who don't, we don't want to see just get held hostage whenever they get a player who gets so good, he decides he's going to make demands like that. And so it was just a really sweet, happy ending to a really really initially seemingly ugly situation here. And if you're a 76ers fan, you dream about these kind of partings um, that the 76ers fans seemingly never get. Um, But let's kind of turn (laughs) our attention to part two of this trade, of course, because the Blazers aren't dumb. Joe Cronin, like we said, is a king out there. And he took one of those older players, the key older player that he got in that trade, Drew Holiday, 
And in what I consider one of just like the coldest moves ever, he went and sold Drew Holiday to the Bucks' biggest opposition, and that's the Boston Celtics here. So the Celtics, of course, have been so close so many times. They went to Game 7, uh, Jason Tatum's first year, um, and lost to the Cavs his rookie year and they've been to the finals since then and the conference finals since then and they just they needed something to get over that that hump and so they go out here and they trade for for drew holiday they send rob williams um they send malcolm brogdon to the blazers here and the celtics pull in drew holiday here and so i kind of want to do a comparison here now that the celtics and bucks both radically altered their rosters here kind of going in here you know, how do you think the Bucks and the Celtics now match up now with the different rosters? Well, I'll make I'll make one aside, and that is, uh, you know, the Blazers certainly did not sell Drew Holiday. We we sold his contract. We traded his contract. So I'll just get that clear. But no, I think it was a great pickup for the Celtics. Like when you think about their team, like the question has always been, all right, can can we build around the Jays and 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 actually win the championship? They make it to the the finals, they make it to the conference finals. It seems like every year, like they're always in the mix. Um, but this year, they decided to blow that up with the Marcus Smart departure and several other changes that they've been pursuing. And so I think this was a great move. When you think about a anybody that could be close to being a Lillard stopper in terms of just making it really difficult on him, you need to find some some guard play that can provide at that end of the and the court without being a net zero on the other side. So, I mean, Drew's exactly that guy. Um, Brogdon was already a little disgruntled with the team um, because apparently they'd already tried trading him to the Clippers. Um, he, where they're not getting giving him a new contract, all the things. So I think it was a great move by the Celtics. In fact, after this trade, uh, having locked up Jalen Brown, now they've got Drew in the house. You know, I, I kind of think that they might, and obviously KP, but like, I'm, if those guys are healthy, I might pick them over Milwaukee. Like they actually might be favorites in the East. Yeah, I would actually agree. And I think it's going to be so interesting because I think with Drew, you get exactly what you need for those matchups, like you said, because inevitably there's a good chance they face the Bucks in something like the Eastern Conference Finals. And I think Drew's going to be perfect for you there. And then if they make it to the finals, there's a good chance, you know, they could be facing, say, the Nuggets and you can put Drew on Jamal Murray, lock him down for a series. Or if you're, say, facing the Suns, you could put him on Bradley Beal or even KD. Um, and so I think it's it reminds me so much of when the Bucks couldn't get over the hump to get to the finals, and so they went to the Pelicans, and they got Drew Holiday from the Pelicans, and then they were able to get over the hump and win a championship. It reminds me of that, but this time for Boston going out and getting Drew Holiday, and so I, it would not surprise me if, you know, in a seven-game series, the Celtics are able to edge him out, like you said, especially with people like KP, it's going to be crucial for health, but same thing for the Bucks. you know, when you got guys like Middleton, um, who are injury prone, and his missing out so much time last year was so um, impactful on them, health is such the major story, but shout out to the Celtics for kind of recognizing, you know, you talk about GMs who are just kings, you know, Brad Stevens, gosh, Brad Steven is a king, and I think he's just done wonderful things since he's flipped over from being the coach to being um, the GM for the Celtics. Uh, the Celtics also just inked today Peyton Pritchard to a four-year, $30 million extension. Thought this was super helpful because with um, Smart, Rob Williams, um, Grant Williams, um, all getting shipped out over the offseason here, um, Peyton is going to see a huge increase in minutes. And so I think getting him locked down, he's just been solid for them. 
Um, and, and this is an extension on his rookie contract here. And so kind of getting a core element. They don't have as deep a bench as they had last year here. But I really think in the East, the, the road runs through the Celtics really looking at who's going to make it to the finals. Yeah, Pritchard's a guy who doesn't get a whole lot of opportunity, but he's efficient with what he does. If you look at like his per 36, he, you know, he scores at a good clip. He's kind of, you know, a typical role guy off the bench, uh, able to establish the offense. And he's a great three point shooter. And I think the other guys on the team, I mean, when you look at that starting five, it's an insane list of stars, players that everybody knows, like guys that are going to be on posters everywhere. And so uh, other guys on the court are always going to have the focus. And so somebody like Pritchard is just an add-on. He's just a good support staff guy. He's he's the corner three guy. So he'll, he'll, he'll give some good grit and grind for that team. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they do about the five because obviously – they're going to be running KP and Al Hortford, and that's asking a lot for Al Hortford at like age 37 now to be kind of your standard backup center. And so it'll be interesting to see how they encounter just some of that lack of depth that they have now that they shipped out so many of their role players. Moving to this week in NBA history, going back way deep, you know, most of our listeners, including the hosts themselves, weren't even alive for this, but on in October 12th, 1979, Magic Johnson and Larry Bird made their NBA debuts same day. So many crazy things that tied these players together beyond the fact that they played each other in three different NBA finals with Magic getting two of those and Larry getting one. They both played 13 years, Quinn, on the same exact team and leveled up crazy awards during their time together. Kind of the core rivalry um, through the 80s was Magic and Larry Bird here. Um, the list of, you know, finals awards, all-star nods, um, you know, gold medals. They both were on the dream team here. But kind of zooming out now, looking back at their careers, I'd love to take a second and kind of think through who had the better career, not just as a player, first off, as a player, but even kind of zooming out to kind of their involvement with the NBA here. Who would you say has the had the better the career? I mean, um, part of what you have to include in a question like that is just the overall kind of fan experience, I guess. And when you think about Magic Johnson in terms of his continuing presence and effect on the game, I think that he probably had the more dynamic career. Like he had the one that that matters in cultural conversation today. I mean, he's the one that's still actively involved um, in, in kind of the limelight. And so I think, I think there's something about that. Um, but that's not to take anything away from Larry Bird, similar to like a, a Kobe and Duncan comparison in kind of a more modern era. Um, Duncan might've actually had the more successful NBA career. Um, but Kobe is going to be the one that's kind of memorialized. He's going to be the one that's always in that conversation for just kind of an, an epic mover and shaker of, of just kind of out, even outsize, outsizing basketball. Like he's just, he's one of those superstars that's known worldwide and so forth. So I think probably magic, but, uh, having not grown up watching these guys, um, I would be happy to be schooled by somebody that told me Larry Bird. Yeah. I think, I think you brought up a great point there with the Kobe and Tim comp Quinn. And that's, I feel like these guys both, were very great fits for the kind of communities and teams and organization that they were a part of here. Magic being the more dynamic personality, maybe the flashier guy with 
um, some of his his just plays passes here. I think he was just a perfect fit on the Showtime Lakers. Um, and then Larry Bird, obviously, um, growing up and spending most of his career as a high school, college player, and then even returning to be a coach and a, a GM in Indiana, and then spending 13 years in New England here, kind of embodied that kind of hardworking, blue-collar kind of, you know, grind. And he kind of had that quieter, um, less flashy personality here. And I feel like it was really fitting for the kind of, you know, teams he the team he played on and the kind of community that embodied here and so I feel like you know if you're gonna have to like cut the needle down and we are the dying for the O'Brien podcast here you've got to give the nod to magic um because um ended up being on five championship teams and in the head-to-heads in the finals he took home two compared to Larry Bird's one there and so I think for both those guys you just see huge domination there um but definitely Magic Johnson um, was able to just to have an incredible career. This is a, a random fact I, I found while researching for this episode, Quinn. And when Magic initially got this um, nickname, he was like playing high school ball. Somebody saw him play and, and said it was just Magic here. His mom hated the name because she was a devout Christian and thought anything related to Magic was of the devil. And so <laughs> amazing. The, her, her first reaction to his nickname was negative. But as we know on, he went to just enshrine... Um, that name with just an incredible career. So shout out to Magic Johnson and Larry Bird for really, I, I've read about it, really saving the NBA um, at a time where viewers were dropping and it looked like the NBA was headed towards bankruptcy. Um, many people would say that both Larry Bird and, and Magic Johnson were able to reinvigorate uh, the league for a new generation of fans. And so shout out to them. Well, NBA basketball is finally here. After talking about FIBA for so many episodes here, we finally are back to the NBA playing. Not the regular season yet. Um, That's coming in a couple weeks here. But preseason as basketball has started, which is great because you get to see guys trying out new lineups, new rotations, guys in different jerseys debuting. And so we actually had some games going on in Abu Dhabi this week um, as the Timberwolves took out the Mavs twice. Also had the Warriors take out the Braunless Lakers yesterday, as well as the Milwaukee Bucks edge the Bulls here. And it was just interesting. I, you know, watching highlights, watching coverage, particularly starting here with the Timberwolves here, and just watching their games. And even though they won both of them, Quinn, I'm still so not sold on the Rudy Gobert, Carl Anthony Towns. It just seems like something is so off, and I'm just so surprised they're going into another season where they're going to try to make that duo work. Yeah, I mean, the thing I keep coming back to with that situation is what is the out? Uh, unless unless you're moving off of towns, I don't I don't think there's a way to get rid of Gobert at this point. His contract, um, you know, you'd have to probably be putting picks in a trade, and, and they don't have any because they spent them all on Gobert. Um, so it's a tough one for sure. Um, I I th- I actually really liked just some of the highlights I've seen coming out of Abu Dhabi with with that team. I think that. You know, I think that they're just going to have to continue to play with that situation where, you know, even like the plus minus of the last game, like Gobert was plus 16, Towns was plus two. So like there might be something there, maybe some of the times that Towns is on the bench and, and kind of the, the floor is a little bit more spread out and Gobert's the only big, uh, maybe that's a good, you know, 10 minutes of, 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 of game time and maybe they need to intentionally map that out so that the rotation, you know, has some form and function to it. But 
I'm with you with the doubts and the fears and the concerns and all the things. Um, but I, I, I like what this team could, could have going into the season. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not looking at them as uh, a team that's shooting for the play. And I think they're top, they're aiming top six. Yeah. But I, I just don't really see them as serious competitors for even the second round. To me, it's, you know, going to be like a, maybe a six game competitive first round series. And then they're going to just get dispatched by, you know, the Suns, the Lakers, the Nuggets, I can, you know, the Pelicans, even if Zion's healthy, I can just think of a lot of teams that I think have what it takes to take out this team. Um, but you never know when Anthony Edwards might go super, supernova. And if you're the Timberwolves, you're, of course, going to bet on that because that's your main offensive uh, powerhouse. Over on the Mavericks, of course, they debuted one of their new players, and that's Grant Williams here. And I've always been a huge Grant Williams fan, what he offers. Um, he can really guard almost the, the one to the five, as well as he's worked on his three-point um, kind of package as well. And so that kind of combination of you know the defense there, the three-point shooting, kind of a Swiss Army Knife guy, I think he's going to be excellent to pair around um, two very not defensive-minded guys, and that's Luka Doncic and Kyrie Irving. Yeah, and they've got to hope for that because uh, the the Mavericks, while they have a, a little bit of draft capital left, um, they they really don't have much. And so, in in ways of improving this team in the next year, two years with Doncic, they're 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 really hoping that a guy that they can they can sign like Grant Williams is really going to improve the team because. Looking at trade options, they're they're a little more limited. So they've got you know your your Tim Hardaway juniors that are still on the team, and you know Josh Green's this young guy that's still kind of developing and so forth. But they need all, several of those things to kind of work at the same time. They need a couple of their developmental guys or their their big rookie um, to to actually like pop right away, and they need the guys that they're bringing in to really mesh well with their star backcourt. So. It's a lot riding on a bunch of what ifs, and we'll see what happens. Yeah, I just I really feel bad for the Mavs because it just wouldn't surprise me if they missed the playoffs again this year. If you're just looking at like how the teams have loaded up here, um, Golden State, we've already mentioned a bunch of the others, um, Lakers, Nuggets, Suns, um, Pelicans if Zion's healthy here. Um, it's just really competitive in the West these days, and that if that end season after they got Kyrie was any kind of hint at what that partnership looks like. Um, it was not good. And so it'd be interesting to see here if the Mavs have another disappointing season. I think we could be looking at some really drastic moves to try to keep Luka in Dallas by Mark Cuban. Uh, speaking of the Warriors, um, Chris Paul made his debut yesterday um, as the Warriors took out the Lakers sans LeBron James. And Chris Paul was just in classic form. He hit some of those beautiful kind of mid-range um, floaters, um, step backs here. And yeah, Chris Paul is getting old, but it would be interesting to see his fit along the Steph Curry um, kind of lineup there with Chris Paul looking to compete for a starting lineup position there in Golden State here. And, you know, people like to doubt on Golden State just because of how old they're getting. But if this kind of win against the Lakers is any other reminder is the Lakers have weapons that can go off at any moment and I think they're a dangerous pick to go all the way this year and and you know what I would do is as I would I would take these first 30 days 60 days 90 days to evaluate these these young guys on the Warriors one last time and and if needed pull the trigger on some trades because I think having Chris Paul on your team and having the big three on your team and having Wiggins 
on your team. Like at, at, at some point you're, you're just, you're not going to win in a new era of the Warriors, you know, four years from now with, you know, Garuba and Kaminga and so forth, unless one of those guys is just like totally pops. And so I would be interested in them actually packaging some of those guys to get, you know, some of those support players that they've had over the years in a, you know, late December, January, early February trade. Now, I don't know that they need that right now because, you know, Kaminga, yes, it's just a preseason game, but he had an awesome game by the looks of it. And so if if somebody like him can be that athletic kind of Wiggins-like player on the team, um, then they're they're going to go places with this team um, because you have some youth to put with the experience. But if those young guys can't be trusted in the first, you know, 20 games of the season, then they've got to ship a couple of them off and get some more veteran support. Yeah, it's interesting because, of course, the story with the Warriors always is how much they're still relying on their bench to all these young guys. But what I find that fascinating is I think it might be interesting to see some of these match up because a lot of these other teams, like the Suns, for instance, kind of have sold out their benches for the sake of star talent in the starting lineup here. And so I think these young guys obviously haven't got a lot of developmental minutes because the focus is on, you know, this aging core of Curry, Thompson, Draymond. Um, but I think these young guys like Kaminga, like Moody, they might really match up well with some of these depleted benches um, from teams, you know, even like the Celtics, if they both ended up in the finals, um, who have, you know, spent less time and money um, developing their bench just because they've been more focused on building out the starting lineup. Speaking of the Celtics, they just took home their first preseason dub tonight, and they beat the 76ers here. Um, Just kind of bringing up the 76ers just kind of makes me feel bad for them because so much noise here in the Eastern Conference over the summer um, with the Bucks leveling up and the Celtics leveling up. And it was interesting um, when those trades went down, um, Joel Embiid got on Twitter and was just like, man, this offseason has been fun. Um, (laughs) And I just, I mean, I really feel for the guy. The, The man has been so loyal to such a dysfunctional organization here. I mean, Joel sat through the whole Simmons saga with a player who just refused to play basketball, and then he finally gets, you know, an all-star Hall of Fame player in James Harden, and now he's got to go through it again here. Just, you got to wonder, what is it going to take for Joel Embiid to get to be on a championship-caliber team? It increasingly, to me, seems like, Quinn, he's going to have to leave Philadelphia because this team just has not been able, literally, to get out of the second round. I don't know, man. The Blazers got Aiton, and the 76ers got Mo Bamba. So, I mean, the the, the sky is high for them, Mo right? Mo Bamba. <laughs> I, uh, I, I mean, I agree. It's, it's a tough one. I, I really do like how Max has been developing, but uh, I don't think you're winning a championship with Embiid in the next two years with a Harden-less, you know, um, Embiid and Maxi pairing, you know, with a Tobias Harris on the wing. So it is a tough one. Uh, he probably needs to make a move sooner than later because his window of being an elite star, you know, seven three, seven two center in the league. I just don't know that there's much of a runway for that. So it's got to be soon. Absolutely, and I just I would love to see the guy to have some success because he. When he's healthy, he plays in such a dominating fashion. Like, he's really earned a nickname like Dominating, unlike DeAndre Ayton. Um, but he's just been unable to be surrounded by reliable people here. You know, when you're you're still hoping to get meaningful minutes out of P.J. Tucker at age 54, effectively, uh, these days in your starting lineup here, you just realize you really need to have better cast of characters around Joel Embiid and 
Obviously, if this was Houston Harden, you know, of five years ago, it would be a different story. Speaking of Houston, um, Kevin Porter Jr., who really had a breakout season last year for the Rockets here, is done for the team um, as domestic abuse allegations from his girlfriend who played in the WNBA um, ended Porter's season um, before it even began. And just see Houston here taking a strong stance on credible um, domestic abuse violations here. And really sad to see somebody who was showing a lot of promise recently. Um, and for a team who's really spent money to say that they're serious about getting better, um, make really poor decisions, and kind of along Miles Bridges' kind of esque kind of ways, um, shut down their season. Yeah, and you know, ethics are not something that uh, we shy away from here on Dying for the Brian. We'll mention it a couple times, and uh, I think I think good on this team, right? Uh, that that's the first thing that should be said. The the second thing that should be said though is, isn't it sad that somebody's going to come around and pick this guy up? You know, next next time around, right? Like. This happened with uh, Josh Primo with the with the Spurs, you know, high draft pick, you know, had these situations where he was allegedly exposing himself to women. They cut him from the team without any further investigation. They're like, it's it's credible. It's multiple sources. We have evidence. All right, we're done. Um, but then he just recently got signed by a team. So it's like these sorts of players still get a chance. You know, they get moved out. He gets moved out of the Cavs over to Houston, plays pretty well with Houston, um, but then, you know, continues to have some personal life issues. And so I hope he gets help. But um, at the same time, there's probably going to be another opportunity for a player with that talent. Yeah, just interesting trying to think through how do you adequately, you know, promote, you know, basically – you know, law abiding behavior in your players. Because of course, you know, NBA players, especially these days with social media are such kind of role models. And so of course, the league and individual teams here wanting to wisely kind of wield the influence that these players have here. And it's just so interesting, because, you know, it's hard to try to figure out, you know, what's the standard there, you know, it's like John Morant flashes a gun once, flashes a gun twice on was it Instagram Live, and now you're going to be out this many games because you like flashed a gun. And, and the same goes, like you said, with Primo um, for being out for one season. And, and now you're kind of good to return here. I think it'd be interesting for the league and the um, NBA, uh, NBA PA trying to sit down and kind of work through what is what does that actually look like to want to enforce and not just encourage, but enforce these players um, conducting themselves in a way that's worthy of emulation by the fans um, while also not seeming kind of arbitrary where it's like, hey, no matter what you do, as long as you kind of take your season off, you'll be good to go back in. Moving to away from the NBA, but a related thing, um, the Golden State Warriors this week were a awarded a WNBA expansion team that will begin in the 2025 season here. Um, no coincidence, the Warriors just built a brand spanking new beautiful stadium not in Oakland, because everybody's leaving Oakland these days, at the A's, at the Raiders, at the Warriors, um, but in San Francisco. Um, and so we'll see a brand new WNBA expansion team coming to Golden State. Honestly, it's just really r rare, whether it's the WNBA or the NBA, for a new team to pop up. It's just unheard of here. And so just be interesting, whether it's the WNBA or Adam Silver with the NBA looking to um, the the need these days for expansion teams because it does provide um, a huge opportunity for the town, but also for the league to really expand and draw new viewership. And if there's an ownership group that can make that happen, it's absolutely the Warriors. And if it's a city that can make that happen, I mean, with the success they've had over the last decade, like it, it's pretty easy to see how this is going to be a win. Yeah, I'm so heartbroken that my um, home child WNBA team, the Miracle, 
um, moved to Connecticut and now are called the Connecticut Sun, which I think is just the dumbest name ever that your team is called. Are you serious? I didn't even Sun. know that. That's yep, hilarious. yep, yep. But it was awesome. <laughs> it used to be we had the Orlando Magic and we had the Orlando Miracle. See, it had M's. They both dealt with kind of like, you know, mm. surprise things. And so I'm still bitter about that. Um, but glad that, like you said, Golden State really did all that they could to demonstrate that they were capable of managing well a franchise. And so um, we're rewarded with an expansion team here. Finally, closing off here with a random moment, Quinn. If it, things couldn't get any worse in Charlotte, whether it's losing all over the place, losing as the Hornets, losing as the Bobcats, back to losing as the Hornets, um, Miles Bridges, I'm not treating women right. And now, you know, teams often partner with elite businesses to have them as their jersey patch sponsor. This is a big deal. This isn't just the name of your arena. This is on every single jersey that's going to be on every player every time they're out there and that your fans buy. And so you've got various teams partnering with very various businesses here. And the Charlotte Hornets, with their new ownership group, decided to partner with YouTube star Mr. Beast for his line of <laughs> chocolate bars as the jersey pass. So it's going to have the uh, presumably the Jordan logo still. Maybe maybe it's going to go back to Nike now. Um, but it's going to have Nike slash Jordan on one side. And it's going to have the Feastables logo on the other side here. And at what point as a franchise do you want people to take you seriously? Gosh. A candy yeah, manufacturer. I literally, I, I literally had to look up uh, the, the logo for Feastables. And I'll, I'll say it. It's um, it's better than some. You know, I've seen some some sponsors. Like you look at OKC. They've got the uh, the Love's Travel Stop company as The gas sponsor, station, yeah, on OKC. Ridiculous. It looks absolutely ridiculous. So – you know, is this in that category? It's probably leaning that way, but it's still not the worst. Yeah, well, hopefully, you know, powered by um, their new partnership um, with this influencer chocolate brand. If anything, we just hope to see some actual W's coming the Hornets way because I've got to feel it for I've had I have friends from Charlotte um, and it, they've been waiting their entire life for their team to be relevant. Well, I think it's going to wrap it up for this day. Glad to finally have the Damian Lillard episode and glad that time finally came. Um, but I guess we'll catch you in the next one.